This is Pet Life Radio. Let's talk pets. In the world of contemporary veterinary medicine, Julianne Lee is one of its heroes. She's been on both sides of the medical practice fence, spending her first few years working through conventional allopathic medicine and then crossing over into a holistic approach. It was a near-death experience that brought her there, and we'll find out all about it when we return from a short break from our sponsor. You're listening to Bark and Swagger on Pet Life Radio, and I'm Jody Miller-Young, your host. So grab that favorite beverage, get comfortable, and we'll be right back. Pets are part of the family. Make sure you can always afford the quality health care they need with Easy Pet Check, a nationwide pet insurance alternative. With Easy Pet Check, you'll save up to 75% on all your pet's health care at any licensed veterinarian in the U.S., Easy Pet Check accepts all dogs and cats, regardless of pre-existing conditions. Visit EasyPetCheck.com. That's the letters EasyPetCheck.com. Taking care of your pet can be easy with Easy Pet Check. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome back. If you've just joined, you're about to meet Julie Ann Lee, who opened the first completely holistic clinic in Canada and one of the first in North America. She's founder of the beautiful pet product brand centering on gut health called Adored Beast, and she's a friend to Bark and Swagger. I'm really pleased to welcome Julie Ann Lee. Hi, Julie. How are you? I'm good. How are you doing? Good, good. Busy awesome. like usual, but good. Oh, well. Life is just, I mean, the days are too short, right? We need more hours in the day, but we we fill them, of course. (laughs) So I'm sure people are really anxious to hear what kind of near-death experience got you from conventional medicine to holistic medicine. Tell us about that. Well, there was two, really. One with myself, which was when I went to, well, I'll start at the very beginning, my dog, who developed cancer at four years of age. Yeah, I was already raised very holistically. But then I went to school. And you know, when you work that hard, either you're going to going to follow and dig into the philosophy that you're learning, or it's very hard to be there if you're not believing what you're learning. Of course. So I kind of jumped the fence from holistic to conventional. And during that time, my dog got really sick towards the end of uh, probably I've been I was probably in that realm for about eight years, I guess. And my dog got cancer. And, you know, back then, you know, this is what you did and like very strict protocols. So I decided that I was just devastated. I went to my mom and I said, I don't know what to do. I'm so torn. And she said, you do call Virginia, who was our holistic practitioner for our family. And I did. And she just, you know, right away, stop giving him that food, get him back on like a raw food diet or a more species oriented diet. Don't let them take a biopsy, take them to. So I went, we 
I went and saw an internal medicine specialist. They said to me that his prognosis was very guarded because I wanted, if I was going to do surgery, I was going to do the best. So I went to a board certified internal medicine surgeon and he was going to remove it. But what was going to have to happen, it was, it was very invasive and he was going to have to actually resect some of his intestine. So it was very, like I said, it was very guarded and I couldn't get in for two and a half weeks. So those two and a half weeks, Virginia started working with them and we were doing, you know, SEX suppositories and homeopathic medicine. And by the time I took him back, it was incredible. He, he called me, I had gotten a hotel and I thought my dog had died because he called me in fairly quickly, like wasn't hours of surgery, like we thought it was going to be. And he said, I don't know, it was Dr. Smith, he was just amazing. He said, I don't know what you're doing. And I don't even know if I want to know, because this was like 1991. And he said, but whatever you're doing, keep doing it, because this tumor was completely encapsulated, and probably a quarter of the size that it was. Oh, wow. It was incredible. Don't have to resect anything, la la la. So took him home. And once he recovered, I had to make some big life changes of what I wanted to do. And I felt that at that point, I wanted to get out of medicine, veterinary medicine altogether, because I had also done some equine work at Humber College, and thought, Oh, this will be nice. It's just all about fertility and doing fertility and ultrasounds and things like that. But it was equally as depressing for me, what they were doing in order to get these horses pregnant. Mm -hmm. So I decided to go to Europe and visit a friend. And when I got there in Spain, she lives in Spain, I got very sick, went to the hospital, and it was like an inflammatory bowel disease, sort of like a hemorrhagic gastritis, what I which is what I got when I was quite sick, like if I was really stressed, I would get it. And I thought there goes my, my vacation, my sort of reprieve of deciding what I wanted to do. And they, you know, they put me on fluids. They asked me what was wrong. I basically told them the story and they sent in a homeopath to treat me. Ah, I get because this is what you want to happen. It's well, and I'm looking at him going, just give me drugs. I'm in Spain. I don't even know how to speak. the. I was terrified. I'm like, because we weren't really familiar with homeopathy. We were really familiar with alternative herbs and diet and food and nutrition that way, but not homeopathy. So usually I was sick for, you know, 10 days to two weeks because I got really anemic from it. And after like two to four days, I was backpacking again. Oh my goodness. Yeah, it was incredible. So once I got home, I just decided that that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to do homeopathy, mm-hmm. but the only schools were in England and that, that were in English. And I was gonna still go but I had to put all my animals in quarantine back then so I don't know I always say that all my dead animals are around me like angels and just so happens as one of the professors from England started a school at UBC in Vancouver okay so I flew out and the rest is history yeah absolutely because you have had experience in both areas allopathic and complementary I need to preface this by saying, I think we can both agree that there's nothing like Western medicine when it comes to emergency room, diagnostics, and things like that. You just can't beat them. But what was your biggest frustrations in working with animals on the conventional side from what you were taught? I think it's important for people to understand. Yeah. Well, it's also important to know that like 
we're coming out with the veterinary line. So I'm definitely not anti-conventional or anti-allopathic. Anti but what I am anti is that I feel like we, we don't embrace the integrative approach. Because even if you have a broken leg, even if you have an animal in shock, even if you have hemorrhagic gastritis, when you use, especially homeopathy, their recovery to that is exponentially faster, right? And cleaner and healthier and less side effects. And the, the list goes on and on. I just did want to say something quickly, like one of when I, I had, I had like five clinics in Vancouver, and one of them was huge, we were a 24 hour practice. And two of the vets, I had a holistic wing and it was two of the vets were actually before they became veterinarians, helicopter, first defensors, or whatever they call like an ambulance, they started using a, a product called Tramil. Have you heard of Tramil? Okay, yeah, so I've used it, they put it into the IV. And when they started doing that, they started losing less people with shock. Wow. So it was really, really, you know, for them, there was no, does it work? Doesn't it work? Right? They, they, yeah, they, they saw it 70%, 70% less death rates. Wow. So my frustration, I think, is that that part of not just not being open to being integrative. And integrative can mean saying, you know, okay, Mrs. Smith, I understand you want holistic medicine. That's not my wheelhouse. I don't have that in my toolbox, but a really great colleague of mine who I went to school with, that's her forte or that's his forte. You know, why don't you go there or, and vice versa, someone that's doing holistic medicine that is really has a client that really wants more conventional. It's like share the love, right? Be, be supportive of each other. For so I think- for the patient. And I think for the patient and for the mental health of a family, because there's yeah. nothing worse than fighting with your health practitioner, whether it's your own health practitioner, or your animal's health practitioner, there's nothing worse than feeling intimidated or feeling like there's conflict. I mean, this is your health, right? And your animal's health. Right. And that might dog's barking he wants to get in here <laughs> well, I had a, a foster failure cat in the background to oh here. no okay our latest our latest foster failure oh dear yeah we're hopeless oh. <laughs> let's go back in time a little bit um to your experience of starting this first completely holistic practice or clinic in canada what was your most eye-opening takeaways <sighs> On which end? On on politically or with patients or there's there's been so much. We the pets health of the animals that you cared for. Well, the first I would say the first three years, I got all end stage stuff. So everything that walked the majority of things that walked through my door were people saying to me, if you can't help my dog, I have to put it down. Or if you can't help my cat, I have to surrender it because we don't have any more money. Or if you can't do this, or we don't, we've run out of money, we've just spent $25,000 and he's still in a cone and we can't handle it. So I think the first few years was a really eye opening experience for me. And I was really lucky because I was able to go to India and I went to India and trained in India. And I saw things happen in India that I wasn't comfortable with. Like I was looking at things being treated homeopathically that I really was like, okay, they should be on intravenous antibiotics. They should be, 
And it blew me away because they didn't need to be on that stuff. They recovered. They, they recovered with homeopathy. So I think what my takeaway with that is that if you're going to practice holistic medicine, is we really need to not look at, at look at it as a trend or a label or a marketing tool or whatever. We really need to, as practitioners, dig in and get as much education, if not more so, mm-hmm. than than conventional. And if we're not going to do that, then we need to be um, okay to work with, you know, uh, a human homeopath that has a lot of animal knowledge or a hu- like we need to try. My takeaway is that when I started, uh, people thought I flew in on a broom. And now it's like they're bombarded by it. So, so I think the takeaway is it is, it's a, it's a, it's the profession is a little more difficult when you're going to go that route because they're not, it's not just that straight. There's a lot more that you have to, you can't do it in 15 minute appointments, right? So you, you've got to, you got to back up and go, am I willing to take half the amount of patients in the day and do what I need to do in order to get to achieve what I need to achieve? It's exactly like us. Like, how do we go to a doctor and be seen for 15 minutes, you know, and they know what's wrong with us. They don't, we get layers, right? So I would say that the first, when I really dug in, it's like the majority of animals that I saw did not have organic disease. They did not have a disease that came from something else. 90% of what I saw was drug layering. So a disease, then drugs to fix that, to suppress that disease, and then Mm -hmm. side effects from that drug, and then another drug that and it in by the time I got to them, it would take me an hour just to figure out what's going on with them right from when they first got sick, which is where you have to go. Yes, well, the tenants of homeopathy are the whole animal or the whole human. So yeah, this is why current conventional medicine is not set up to deal with homeopathy and what it takes to see and diagnose patients because it's an hour to an hour and a half initial consult, right? Mm-hmm. And at least that if you're talking about a chronic illness. So yeah, it, uh, yeah, it, it would be a, a completely different change, which is why working together is, is absolutely the best solution. Mm-hmm. I also want to address diet here a little bit because I think we'll agree that a pet comes to you and if they're being fed kibble, it's going to make it harder for what you prescribe homeopathically to do all it could do if the body isn't getting the kind of living food that it needs to thrive. Mm -hmm. So talk a little bit about that. Well, you know, I used to just think it was homeopathy that, that, that has a saying obstacle to cure. But it isn't. It, I mean, obstacle to cure is, I would say, in every single medical modality. Because if there's something preventing the body from healing, it doesn't matter whether it's homeopathy or even, the, or even conventional, it's not going to heal. So food is definitely a big player. Stress is a huge player. Animals, in my opinion, this is a little controversial. It's okay, Henry. But what I think what happens is that we have free will, right? So we can choose whether we want to eat food that's processed or we want to go and try to eat live food. We have a choice if we 
you know, if we're bored, especially with COVID or something, you know, you can watch a movie, you can do an online course, you can keep, we can keep our brains active, we can work out in the house, we can do yoga online, we can do so many things where animals can't. So I think there's two big reasons for animals not getting cured. And that is one diet, because nothing can thrive on something that's void or void of, of, of real nutrients. Yeah, it's dead food. The dead food, right? We know that with people, it's no different. A cell is a cell. If a cell is going to become depleted or oxidized or whatever in a human, it's going to happen to a dog, a cat, a pig, a horse, it doesn't matter. So 100%, if we're not feeding them a species oriented food, if we're feeding food, that's a dead food, or we're feeding foods that have been excreted, and then synthetic vitamins and minerals be put back on it. That's, we know that synthetic vitamins and minerals can actually cause oxidation. So for sure that and the fact that animals, I don't feel get enough time and attention, they don't get enough exercise, they're not allowed to be loud and obnoxious and bark and smell each other's bums, people pull their collars away, like we really don't let them be animals, we don't let them we want them to be too human. And I think that that causes a lot of disease or ill health or prevents stress. Yeah, Yeah. for sure. So I think that's, and the fact that we're spaying and neutering them, right? So we're moving, removing their sex hormones at such a young age, it just can't, can't help. But but do some damage. So when we look at dogs and cats, they just have so many layers of ways that that is that we need to approach and look at in order to get curative results or make them have the best quality of life that we can give them. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if we can't give them raw, or because you're, you know, often, I would have families come in and some people would want it like one member of the family wants to do raw, the other member of the family doesn't and it becomes this massive debate within the family. Well, that stress alone isn't good. So it's it's really finding a balance and then adding what you need if you can't do what you think is the perfect solution, right? right? There's no perfect. Absolutely. Now we are learning more and more how critical the gut microbiota is, that balance for humans and for animals. How important have you found the gut in solving illness in dogs and cats? I can't even put words to that. It can't happen unless you do it. That I can say. I mean, it's, it's fundamental to health. I mean, you could feed the best diet in the world but it's the bacteria that creates the metabolites that makes that carrot turn into a vitamin, right? So if that bacteria is not in there, you, your body doesn't even have the ability to produce the metabolites that actually gives you the micronutrients. So from there, from like a nutritional point of view, it's absolutely vital. From an immune system, it's eight, more than 80% of their immune system we have the gut brain access. So for emotional health or aggression or timidity or anxiety, it's all related somewhere in the gut doesn't mean that there's not environmental issues as well going on. But the gut is predominantly the driving train to everything. Hormones, like I said, brain, emotions. I think people don't realize how many 
important, I'm struggling for the word here, are located in the gut that we think most are located in the brain, but they're really located in the gut? Receptors, I mean, what, what's the word I'm looking for, Julie? Metabolites, receptors, accesses, there's, they say, you know, it's so funny when like your gut sense. Yes. Right? Well, yes. your gut, your gut. It, it literally is called the gut brain access. Yes. The vagus nerve. Yeah. So you're really, you're, there's a difference too between your brain and your mind, right? So your mind learns things and a lot of stuff that it learns is inaccurate or it holds on to things that it doesn't need to hold on to anymore. Right. Whereas your gut is basically trying to help you follow the real path hmm. and not what the brain has conjured up. Mm -hmm. Right. So, you know, when you say brainwashed, it happens all the time. People can get brainwashed and they'll, people will say, yeah, you know what? I had a gut sense, right? I had a gut sense. Well, that came from something. It came from your gut, gut creating the communication to mm -hmm. the brain in order for you to make correct decisions. And, and yeah, it's phenomenal. We, I mean, we know that serotonin and dopamine and all of the hormones, we don't have a balanced ecosystem or the animal doesn't have a balanced ecosystem. That whole hormonal system is not going to be functioning how it should be. Absolutely. So, so critical. We are going to take a very quick break here uh, from our sponsors, but don't go away because when we return, you're going to find out more of Julie's go-to practice for sick pets. So refresh that beverage, get cozy, and we'll be right back. Take a bite out of your competition. Advertise your business with an ad in Pet Life Radio podcasts and radio shows. There's no other pet-related media that is as large and reaches more pet parents and pet lovers than Pet Life Radio. With over 7 million monthly listeners, Pet Life Radio podcasts are available on all major podcast platforms. And our live radio stream goes out to over 250 million subscribers on iHeartRadio, Radio.com, TuneIn, Stitcher, and other streaming apps. For more information on how you can advertise on the number one pet podcast and radio network, visit PetLifeRadio.com slash advertise today. Let's Talk Pets. Let's Talk Pets. On Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome back. If you've just joined, we're here today with Julie Ann Lee of Adored Beast and one of the early proponents of holistic medicine for animals and people. Julie, why is homeopathy one of your top go-tos for pet care? It's a homeopathy is very near and dear to my heart, obviously, because, you know, I've worked with more than 35,000 animals wow. and not one of them didn't I didn't use homeopathy on some level. So that question has to be followed why it's equal. The fact that it's so profoundly um, important in our lives is exactly why it is so um, risky for the sort of big pharmas and, and conventional mindsets. Absolutely. Because I honestly believe that if any of the medical, holistic medical modalities out there 
could replace the majority of conventional medicine, it would be homeopathy. So I'm talking about antibiotics. I'm talking about things for anti-inflammatory, anti-inflammatories, anti-anxiety, antis. lots of the antis, lots of the antis. Yes. And really, like I said before, for, you know, acute, a really acute trauma, my clinic, my one clinic, we were a very integrative practice. We had everything we had surgeries, we had scopes, we had ultrasounds, we had physio, we had rehab, we had, it was a very big integrated clinic. And I remember one time this little dash hound came in and had been stung by a bee and it was, it was, hadn't, was in an anaphylactic situation. You couldn't even see this pup's eyes. Its nose was, he looked like a pug. That's how big his nose was. And he was blue. And all the technicians were running around looking for the crash kit and everyone was getting ready to be giving him epinephrine and the whole nine yards. And they put him on the table and I just ran and got like apis and aconite. And I just started dumping it in my hands. It sounds ridiculous. And then spitting on my fingers and then rubbing it in and just rubbing it in his gums and then putting it on my hands and rubbing it in and rubbing it into his gums. And you literally could see this dogs before they even got it in him. He started being able to breathe easier. The owner was like, it was really fast. Like did what I've not given him the epinephrine? No, obviously he would have, he needed everything, but that's how fast it can happen, especially with things like, like I said, with shock. So homeopathy is a modality of medicine that can go with everything and it support, it, it can either work as a standalone, it can work as a life-saving support along with it can work along with surgeries it can it can help the pet like all of our animals got when they came out of being spayed or neutered if they were having a surgery they were you know they would they got reiki and homeopathy and you would not believe the difference of these animals waking up It's, it's pretty incredible it's exciting homeopathy is a very elegant modality because of the way it works, you know, I mean, mm-hmm. you, you get the remedy, right. And the fact that it triggers the being to heal itself, you know, it's, it's incredible. I mean, it's, it's worked for me. I had a year long illness and I am healed and I'm no longer food sensitive. And I was food sensitive my whole life, even before this year long bout it is just and i've seen it with my animals um it's just a very elegant powerful yet gentle practice and i mean i'm i'm passionate about it too so i think it's i think i think its biggest downfall is actually believe it or not it's practitioners because homeopathy can be very campy meaning that there's the the strictly yes Strict single remedy homeopaths who are just very yes yeah and Hahnemann, then there's yeah Hahnemann Kentian whatever you yes. want to call them then there's homotoxicology then there's combination remedies and and again everybody should be working with each other to support each other and if somebody wants to have classical homeopathy and you don't do classical homeopathy then send someone to that or vice versa. Because I can tell you that with animals, the difference is, is that animals recovery and cellular turnover is much faster than a person's. That's why they don't live as long. 
And when you're working with them or you're treating them, they're a lot like children, like babies. They can get sick and they can get sick fast. Mm. You don't have time to sit and watch and wait. And you don't have time. You don't have the, the ability to communicate with them to the point where we can with people, right? So with my experience with it is that we have to work with it differently. We have to work with it differently than we do with people. Mm-hmm. And once they're stable, that's when the classical piece comes in and, and you can get really incredible results. But initially, initially, when you come in and, and a dog has been on atopica or prednisone for three years and it's got like, it's, it's just, it's guts trashed, it's skin is trashed, it's mental, emotional state is trashed. You can't just take them off of all the drugs and give one remedy, watch, wait and see. Oh my God, but, no. It's not fair. And I think that I've seen more veterinary homeopathy fail that way because it just, it, it's, it's too hard on the animal. So it's a different way of practicing, right? Yes. It's, well, it's very animal sensitive centric. Um, but along those lines, what would you advise pet parents regarding learning homeopathy for, for acute common illnesses, you know, treating acute common illnesses in their pets at home? Yeah, there are some, I would honestly say to do a child's, a child's, it's a kind of a longer way around. I would learn, there's lots of different programs online to how to treat your children. So for ear infections, coughs, colds, vomiting, nausea, things like that, because there's more information and it's, it's more detailed and it's more, it's deeper, right? Because Mm -hmm. it's been around so much longer than, than animal homeopathy. So then I would, I would do that. And then I would really learn your diseases, right? I would do another course on, on how to recognize diseases in your dogs and your cats. And then you just literally, you combine them. You look at, okay, so croup in a child. Yeah. What would croup look like? Bordetella or Kennecoff. It's yeah. very, very, very similar. Doesn't yeah. have to be the exact same virus. Yeah. But the symptomatology is very similar. Right. There's a really good book, if people can get it, it's called Morrison's Desktop Companion. And it's for people, it's for families. But it's very clear. It's the symptomatology is really, really clear that you can, you know, if something's got a, you know, a a green discharge coming out of its nose, it doesn't matter if it's a dog, cat, horse, or animal or person, it's a green discharge coming out of its nose. So I would tend to stay more with the family children, because they do tend to repeat remedies more often, which you do have to do with, with, with dogs and cats. You do have to, in acute situations, you do have to, re- like, you can't just give one remedy. It's the same with children. You know, if, if a child's sick and it has croup, they don't just tell you to give one remedy and sit there and wait. You know, it's usually give them, give it every hour for the first few times. That's that sort right. of thing. Right. So I would try to look at children and then learn about animal diseases and then just combine them. To me, that gives okay. you a deeper dive and more success. Okay, thank you. That's great. Don Hamilton has a really good book. Yes, he does. Um, that Don Hamilton. He's, yes, he does. One of, I just love him so much. Yes, he His does. His book really is good book. really, really good. How effective do you, have you seen homeopathy be in, let's say, serious illness like cancer? 
I have a kitty right now that has tumors, very bizarre tumors too, that, you know, they gave her maybe three months, the all the board certified oncologists and stuff gave her about three months. And she's been, it's been six years. So I have more cases, I think I have more cases of cancer that have way outlived their prognosis. But what is really, really, really more important, am I ever going to say that it cures cancer? No way. But what it does is, is they, they act like they don't have it. Explain that a little bit more. They live with cancer. They mm-hmm. live with the tumors. The tumors might get smaller. Do they completely go away? Not always. They don't always completely go away. They rarely completely go away. But they'll, they'll, they'll shrink to a size where it's not, the animals are acting like they're not sick. Their vital force is Their strong. vital force is strong. They're running around. They go to the park. People go, there's no way this dog has cancer. There's no way this dog has lymphoma. There's no way this dog has yeah. this or this cat has this. And they don't have the side effects of the drugs, right? So it's a, it's a fine line to walk. And, and my heart goes out to a lot of people. But I, I, I honestly have to say that in my practice, I would say that I get equal, if not longer, prognosis than with drugs. But their quality of life, I, you can't even compare. Yeah. It's way, way, way better. Way better. You know, I, I did a cancer lecture and I showed, I don't know, there was like 600 people there. And I showed x-rays of tumors and x-rays of all kinds of different things. And people were just blown away. Like, really, that dog? lived for five years with that tumor in there. And I'm like, yeah, it did because we got it to a point where it was not invading on anything that was causing it any distress. So exciting. How important is the mindset of the pet parents in approaching their pet's health holistically? Very important. Yeah. Very, very important. They need to be open. Not just open. They need need to understand that it's a journey, right? It's not... I always say to people, if you're waiting to just to go get something and take a pill and give your aunt, dog or cat a pill, which is what and then taught. walk away and not pay attention, then holistic, anything, homeopathy doesn't matter. It's not for you because it's not what it's about. It's about the commonality. It's about the connection. It's about, it's about paying attention, being mindful, being present. Oh, wow. Yeah. Like it's eyes aren't it's eyes aren't tearing anymore, or there's just even subtle changes that we miss, you know, because we are too busy, we're too consumed with something else. We aren't taught to pay attention right. to our own bodies, to our family's bodies. We're not paying, we're not taught to pay attention to really vital things that show disease coming or show disease going away. We ignore it until we're really, really sick or until the animal's really, really sick. And then we want a quick fix that we can't even go, yeah, you know what? He is sleeping back where he used to sleep. I never even, because you take detailed notes, right? And people come back and say, I don't see much of a change. I'm like, okay, so is he still sleeping, you know, downstairs behind the couch? But no, he's not. He actually is sleeping back upstairs. Okay, awesome. Is he still can't get up the stairs? No, he can get up the stairs now. You know, like, we're so busy, we're not even noticing the symptoms that we know that are, 
are changing or not, right? Yeah. And, yeah. and symptoms, people, people have a bad connection with symptoms. Symptoms are really important. So treating symptoms is very, very important because you're treating them, you're not suppressing them. Right. So a symptom is- There are friends. There are friends. They're the language of the body. Yes. So when we treat them, the body's going, thank you. You heard me. You heard me. You saw me. But when we suppress them and we just push them down, they go to a deeper disease. Exactly. Julie, thank you so much. Is there anything else that you'd like to share today? This has been great, really. No, other than don't be intimidated by it. Good. Don't be important for for people that are out there that are just, um, I really believe that our animals are our guides. And sometimes we are scared to take the step in looking at being healthier, but we will want, want our animals to be healthier, right? So we start looking, but then it gets a little intimidating. Start where you can start where you can pay attention, be more present, get more connected. And even if you do 10% of a difference, but you're more connected, more present, and just more there with your animal, it's going to get better. Absolutely. Absolutely. Where can people find you and Adored Beast? Adoredbeast.com. Okay. Yeah. Or we've got lots of videos on, we have a YouTube station, Adored Beast Apothecary. All right. Thank you so much for sharing your wisdom today, Jules. You're welcome. Really appreciate it. And thank you all for listening. Thanks to our producer, Mark Winter. Mark makes us sound so good. He does. Uh, He does. (laughs) (laughs) My passion is living stylishly, animal rescue, and health. A mouthful, I know. But (laughs) but (laughs) if our dogs or cats look great when they're wearing something really stylish, but they don't feel good, what good is that? So health is super important, and you'll be meeting more health and wellness experts on my show in the coming months. Um, so also you can visit me on a new site called thehoundhealer.com for more stories on natural health and wellness, great tips for pet parents. Uh, so until next time, when fierce fashion calls, bark and swagger. Let's talk pets every week on demand only on petliferadio.com. <laughs>